Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners, no matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. This is Dr. Dan. As you know, the uh, deadline for Obamacare signing up is coming up uh, next week, and so it's very much in the news. Uh, What's going to happen with this program? We hear all kinds of conflicting stories out of Washington. Of course, that's not new. Uh, And with all the conflicting stories, uh, we really don't know what the truth is. But I'll tell you one thing that we know is the truth, and that is Obamacare is not good for medical care. It is going to cause problems for you. It's going to make it difficult for you to get the care you need, uh, especially if you are in the older age group. Uh, These are things that we need to discuss. Uh, We need to discuss them. They're very important because it really is a matter of life and death. My guest today is Dr. Joel Strom from California. He's a dentist. He's the, a fellow at the Jesse Unruh Institute for Politics at USC and the president of Strom Political Strategies. Interestingly enough, he's a author of a recently released book, Learn to Lead, Finding Success as a Grassroots Political Leader. It is available at Amazon. And the book is a compilation of lessons that he learned from numerous state grassroots leadership positions, and he has quite an impressive resume. Uh, to name a few, he was the founder of Dentistry United for World War II Vets. He is a practicing dentist in Beverly Hills. He's presently serving as the California State Science Board of Directors. He's a former president of the California State Dental Board. So he has an impressive list of achievements in his life. But what we're going to talk about today is that he is the founder and chairman of a new initiative on his part called Doc Squads. Uh, And that's what we're going to talk about today because it directly relates to Obamacare. So Dr. Strom, thank you very much for being on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum on Freedom Forum Radio. Welcome and thank you for being our guest. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Dan. I hope my mother can get a copy of, of this radio tape. So she'll be impressed by her son. Well, we always give copies, two copies for your mother and my mother as well, <laughs> because I think keeping our mothers happy is uh, something that's obviously extremely important. So l- let's start off with this. Americans, as you know, they trust doctors, not p- politicians, when it comes to health care. So doctors have really not participated in the process very much until recently. I mean, obviously, we did have that uh, fake photograph with some people in white coats and stethoscopes that were surrounding um, the president when the bill was signed. And we all as physicians and, and healthcare practitioners knows that that was a that was really a basically a phony photograph. So now it when the rubber is hitting the road. We are now starting to get involved much more. Uh, So let's talk about how the involvement of physicians is changing when it comes to this issue. Well, you're you're right, Dr. Dan. Um, Doctors, for the longest time, have not been involved in politics, and there's a lot of of good reasons for that. I mean, physicians, after many years of school, graduate with large debt. Uh, They're not lawyers, generally, so uh, people like us when we hear the word regulation or statute or law or fine or penalty, you know, we just kind of turn the other way. It's, it's not really in our, in our vocabulary. We try to fix things. We don't fight too often. So the idea of going into politics and getting involved has never really um, crossed the minds of many doctors. They used to hope, that, they used to plan the, uh, their, their political involvement through the American Medical Association. And as many people know, that, that has changed quite a bit. They've been very, the AMA has been very... Uh, underwhelmingly, they haven't been successful at all in protecting the private practice of medicine. Well, don't be so kind to the AMA. Um, They really have not at all been a force, a positive force when it comes to protecting physicians, not just in private practice, but also when it comes to this abomination of a bill uh, that was passed, which is clearly unconstitutional. Uh, they really did not stand up and say, wait a minute, this is not what is good for doctors, it's not good for the American people, it's not good for the practice of medicine. So one of the things that has definitely changed is that the one uh, group that should have been staunchly on the side of doctors and patients failed miserably, which is why their membership, of course, is way down. You know, it speaks to the power of a perception because the American Medical Association still enjoys a widespread, uh, <clears throat> that people believe they are the spokespersons for doctors. And, and as you said earlier, there's a very small percentage of practicing doctors belong anymore. But uh, the reason we went and started our program called Doc Squads was we wanted to try to take those doctors who were brave enough to venture into the world of politics and help teach them how to get involved, how to speak on radio, how to, do, how to, how to get out and talk about, for candidates or for their ideas um, effectively. And uh, it was amazing that when we started in 2012, uh, we got about 200 doctors pretty darn quickly. Uh, I gave one lecture in, in D.C. area, got about, about 14, 15 doctors, and from there it just grew all over the country. Uh, so we had about 19 states where there was a presence of, of doctors out there talking about uh, Obamacare. So what is it that you hope to achieve with this group called Doc Squads? What do you want to achieve, and, and how are you going to go about it? Well, short-term, there's short-term and long-term goals. Uh, the long-term goal is to get more doctors elected to office, and we can talk about that if we have time later. 
But the short-term goal is in the next during this next year when when healthcare is such a central uh, central issue uh, to to many voters. Uh, we want to help to develop enough doctors in enough states that uh, can articulate the concerns that these doctors have uh, and talk about protection for patients and alternatives to what's being presented right now. So our goal is to to achieve a status where we can be on shows like like your show, and thank you for having me, uh, in, in many states across the country. So being on radio or being on television, in other words, having a public presence as physicians is something that's very important to you. It, it's For me, it, it's just, you know, if you look at a pie chart of the makeup of Congress, you see a little sliver, about 3.7% of Congress are healthcare professionals, mostly physicians, but a couple psychiatrists, a dentist. Um, and, you know, anybody who knows how laws are made knows that you have to have at least uh, a workable caucus that can, that can stop some legislation and push other legislation before you can have an impact. And doctors don't have that critical mass, so they're left to the whims of lawyers and politicians and business owners and insurance companies. And without that voice to directly to the public, uh, it's just going to get lost. So that's what we're trying to do, get the doctor's voice to be heard effectively, have good spokespersons, and energize the, the doctors who have the, the, are brave enough to get out there and, and get into the, the theater of ideas. We have to take a quick commercial break here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. More right after the break. You know, when Obamacare was being debated, during that uh, number of months. Um, I'm not really sure, and, and this is kind of a, I'm kind of challenging a little bit. Mm-hmm. Say we had had more physicians in Congress. Do you really think that would have mattered? We did have some very outspoken physicians, one from Georgia, for instance. Um, but when you have an administration that really has no desire to compromise, no desire to... Uh, really discuss any issues like this. It's sort of my way or the highway type of an attitude. What kind of an effect would physicians in office have? Well, I guess it's a hypothetical, but I'll try to answer that for you, and I appreciate the challenge. Uh, You know, if there were 30 to 35 doctors in in the House of Representatives, let's say, uh, if that that was the case, then um, those 30 docs, uh, assuming most of them were against this, uh, they could have threatened to stop legislation. Uh, they had gone to the Speaker of the House, and they could have said, you know, we're not voting for this XYZ bill until you stop and challenge the, 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 health, the president's health care law. Now, the way it's structured, of course, we have a U.S. Senate. And if the U.S. Senate is uh, in the other hands of people who are for uh, the president's health care law, then, you know, I, I would say you're probably correct. There's not much that that 30, 40, or 50 doctors could have done in the House without the, a, a, a same, the same control in the, Senate, in the Senate. So if you assume that there's more doctors in the House and none, no more in the Senate, then, yeah, it probably wouldn't be any different. You know, And that's a longer-term goal, which obviously we can't address this year. And I don't know if they'll ever get that many doctors in, in, in the Senate and the House, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't start, start now and, and, and reach for the stars. You know, I I appreciate the enthusiasm, and I and I appreciate that attitude because I think if we had uh, 
legislative bodies in general more representative of the population, not just you know a bunch of lawyers or or whatever, which is what they really mostly are at this point. I think you might have a better chance of getting a more balanced legislation. Um, but to me, um, I think this was a very impressively powerful juggernaut that we were subjected to when Obamacare was passed. I mean, you had the combination of um, the legislature and the executive branch. Uh, you had insurance companies. You had the AMA for all, <clears throat> whether it represents, which doesn't represent us, but nevertheless is perceived to represent us. So you had a lot of forces coming together uh, to push all this legislation through um, without really any regard whatsoever to having a discussion about the pluses or minuses of what might come out. Yeah, you know, with uh, the 2008 elections were, you know, pretty much a, a, a voter repudiation of some things that went on in the past, and and the idea of, of hope for better um, prevailed, obviously. Um, and you give credit to those who are for for uh, universal health care, socialized medicine, whatever title you want to put on it. They were able to capture the day on the political side, and and I think this too, doctors are, are guilty of this tremendously that they didn't understand that politics precedes policy. If you don't win the political battle, if you don't enter into the into the political battle, then the chances are that you're not going to win the political battle, which then of course leads to getting policies you don't like. Um, and you're right; it was a huge, huge uh, wave that came over this country and of, of being tired of what was going on before, rightfully or wrongfully whether you and I agree with that or not. And I don't think any, anything could have stopped uh, a president who, 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 as you said, doesn't want to compromise, and a president who had his own set of ideas and used every, every lever possible to, make, to pass the bill. And they had the votes and the power to do that. And really, in 2010, that would have been a better time to make some changes had uh, the Republican Party, in this, in this case, taken back the Senate. And they fell short, and uh, at that point, you had to really wonder what uh, what you could do to really stop this, repeal it, replace it, uh, amend it, whatever uh, whatever action you want to take. But certainly, do something to slow this thing down. It wasn't going to be possible politically. You know, Dr. Strom, uh, you you've written a book about grassroots political leadership, yes. and. One of the things that was remarkable to me about uh, the entire process by which Obamacare was legislated, if you want to use that word, and of course this was after the 2010 election, um, and that was that the grassroots movement was very vigorously opposed to this. Uh, there were rallies and marches, not just in Washington, but all around the country to try to prevent the passage of this law. What's impressive to me is, in spite of an overwhelming presence of people in the streets, uh, that it still got passed anyway. Uh, that is a, a big concern to me. And uh, how do you see that? Um, well, a couple of things. I would say that the, the, the mass, the energy that came out of the grassroots was, was you know, amazing to some people. 
uh, certainly not to those who were involved. It was obvious that there's there were a lot of reasons to be upset about the the, the contents of the law and and also the way it was passed. Uh, but there's a limit to what anger can do um, in terms of affecting legislative change. And um, I think what was lacking in, in that group at the time was they just weren't organized enough to to, uh, to make their voices heard in a constructive manner, I'd say, within the political process, number one. And number two, they still couldn't overcome the electoral mismatch that was going on at the time. You really needed one or two election cycles to, to take that energy and move it into, into political action. And uh, that may end up taking, you know, all of six years until you know, the next presidential race. But um, it, clearly the energy was there. Uh, ordinarily, you'd expect a president to see that and hear that and, and make a change of course, some, a, a small change of course, if nothing else. I think Bill Clinton, who was not my favorite president, but uh, he, he got that message loud and clear in 1994 when, when Republicans took over the Congress. Uh, the difference there, though, was the Republicans controlled the entire Congress. I don't know if Bill Clinton would have done the same things had his party still controlled the Senate. So it's really, uh, you know, I'll just say histor- history will say that Bill Clinton heard the people and made some changes and allowed welfare reform to happen and a few other things that were positive to people like me. Uh, but Barack Obama did not, did not. In fact, him, when he heard that, when he saw that, it was almost like his position hardened even more. It was almost like he got he doubled down. Well, you know, we we can discuss the reasons for this and the reasons for that. There's no question that I think that when Bill Clinton was a very different president and a different mindset, although he had an agenda, although he was a progressive and wanted to promote progressive ideas, um, he recognized that you do need to have some some basis of commonality between Republicans and Republicans and Democrats in order to achieve legislation, in order to achieve some goals, and that he was certainly willing, even if he hadn't really controlled both houses or by such a degree, he was more of a compromiser. He was more of a person who was willing to listen, and he was very practical. He was very practical in recognizing that he could get more done uh, if he threw a little sugar on the water instead of just vinegar. And that certainly is not uh, what has happened uh, since Barack Obama has been elected, because there's been no sugar in the water. It's been all vinegar, and like I said, my way or the highway, as much as he possibly could, even to the point now where you have a president who's usurping power to the point where he just legislates by decree, which, as we know, is completely and totally unconstitutional. So I guess we'll, we'll find out there's some Supreme Court cases coming up, and I'm not a lawyer nor an expert on the Supreme Court, but we'll see uh, if, if something can be, uh, if this can be slowed down in the courts, but his actions. Uh, but, you know, the American people elected him the first time, and you could say uh, many were surprised or disappointed. There are a lot of words that you could use for that, but they reelected him in 2012. So, I mean, I, I, it's very frustrating for me as someone who wants to have a president, whether I agree with the president or not, uh, that can engage the, the minority, the other side. I think the big deal about America is that we're not a pure democracy. We're a republic, and in republics, minorities have rights. And uh, the only thing that happens when you keep trampling on the, that minority rights area is you get more anger, <laughs> and it just ratchets things up. And uh, it's become very dis- it's very difficult 
to be constructively constructive and achieve uh, legislation, as you explained earlier, when people are angry with each other. And that's very frustrating, and it, it's, it's, it creates anger in me when I watch the, the, uh, the level of discussion, the, the, the rhetoric gets higher and higher and higher, worse and worse and worse. Very difficult to create legislation and be successful as a country when we can't seem to just settle down and talk about our differences in a, in a positive, pragmatic way. And that concludes this week's edition of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Tune in next week for the conclusion with Dr. Strong. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Yeah, when I play the hoochie-coochie man, I get joy in everything. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Peace.